bow our heads once more. Father, as we've been um, studying the Ten Commandments, we have seen, as Josh mentioned in his prayer, um, how unrighteous we are, how each and every one of us has broken uh, all of these commandments, Lord, over our lifetime. Uh, We have uh, disobeyed you and transgressed your law. In fact, Lord, we were born into unrighteousness. We have not gladly believed your word. We have not followed uh, your great commission, your commandments to love you and to love neighbor as ourselves. But Lord, we know also from your word that you are rich in mercy. And we ask your forgiveness. We ask that you would be gracious to us. We thank you for Jesus and for his blood shed through which the forgiveness of sins comes. And Lord, now as we look at the eighth word, we pray your help. Uh, We ask that you would uh, do as you do and shine a light on our hearts and show us, Lord, uh, how we have transgressed this and our need for a Savior. And I pray that none of us leaving here today would be the same as we came in, that you would work transformation by your Holy Spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. The first recorded act of theft in the Bible is three chapters in, where Adam and Eve went out of bounds and took from the tree what God had expressly forbidden them to take. And following On the heels of that world-changing moment of theft, we have a whole cascade of thefts in the Bible. As just some examples, we have in Genesis 30-31, Rachel stealing from her own father. Also in Genesis, we have Joseph himself stolen and sold into the land of Egypt. Then over in Joshua 7, we have Achan stealing items that were devoted to God, and Israel reaps the consequences. In Judges 17, we have a man named Micah stealing 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother. And then over in the New Testament, we have Judas in charge of the money bag, but helping himself to its contents. Stealing money. Well, friends, it turns out that we still live in a post-Genesis 3 world that is awaiting its final redemption and its final transformation. And stealing and being stolen from remain a huge part of our experience. Would you agree? I'm a person who has both been stolen from on several occasions, and by my own admission, I'm also a person who has stolen from others. This week, I was reflecting back on my 49 years, uh, remembering the times, first of all, when someone had stolen from me. I remember being in grade 8 and proudly bringing my brand new Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five album Uh, to the music room 
hoping to play it over the lunch hour. But when I left the record unattended for just a few minutes, somebody stole it from me and I never saw it again. I also remember that in my late teens, I had my ghetto blaster uh, stolen out of the back seat of a friend's car. I also remember that when I was 20, my brother and I parked our car out near Banfield on Vancouver Island and then went hiking on the West Coast Trail for six days. And when we returned to the car six days later, the window had been smashed and most of the contents in the car were gone. But as I mentioned, I've also been on the other side of the equation of being the thief. Two very memorable incidents came to mind this week as I thought about this. The first happened when I was about five or six. My mom and I were shopping one day at Wolco, which is now Walmart. Back then it was Wolco in the Capilano neighborhood of Edmonton. And I spied with my little eye as we walked along a long string of bubblegums that were all individually wrapped in cellophane but attached together. They looked so alluring to me at the age of five or six. And so I decided to take that string of bubble gums, and then I tried to conceal it in my winter coat pocket. I still remember the coat that I was wearing. It's a very memorable incident. I, I decided to try and conceal it in my pocket, hoping to walk out of the store with the bubble gum undetected. Well... My mom spied with her little eye the string of bubble gums, the end of it hanging out of my coat pocket, and she proceeded to stop right there and scold me and insist that I go and put the gum back where I had found it. And then several years after that, when I was nine or so, I found in my schoolyard a scarf that I really thought was cool. And I remember the scarf had a 7-Eleven uh, store logo on it. And to me, when I found the scarf, it was simply a case of finders keepers. But then another kid came along and told me that he knew, he knew exactly who owned it and that I had better give it back to the rightful owner. I refused. I kept the scarf and I went home with it and of course, again, there's my mom. And she starts asking questions because she'd never seen the scarf before. And so, as it turned out, nervously, I told her the whole story. I confessed to everything that was going on. And she made me march over to the victim's house. This is very memorable. Uh, this person only lived about a block from us. She made me march over to the victim's house and fess up and give the scarf back. And I remember walking up that walkway feeling so terrible and so nervous. Well, this morning we're looking at the eighth word of the ten words, which is very brief. Exodus 20, verse 15 reads, you shall not steal. What kind of world do we live in right now? We live in a world where Brinks trucks and Garda trucks are heavily armored and the Brinks and Garda guards, employees, carry guns. We live in a world where we have to memorize about 98 passwords 
and change those passwords regularly because if we don't, we risk having what belongs to us stolen from us. We live in a world where we have locks on our doors and security bars on our windows. We live in a world where we click our car fob twice as we leave our car in a parking lot just to make absolutely sure that the car is locked. All of this because the theft of our stuff is a real possibility. We almost expect theft to occur if we don't take measures to try to prevent it. Now, looking at the Eighth Commandment, if you have your Bible open, looking at the Eighth Commandment, the verb in the commandment that we translate into English as the word steal, this is a relatively common word in the Hebrew Bible that generally describes secretive theft. The word has to do with taking something that doesn't belong to you in a stealthy and or deceptive manner. Like when I stole the bubble gum. Or when the perpetrator uh, stole my Grandmaster Flash record. See how this is therapeutic for me. I'm getting this out. So stealthy and flavored with deceit. In the Hebrew Bible, this word steal is used in cases, all sorts of cases, where material items and animals are taken stealthily and with deception. But it's also used, interestingly, in connection with kidnapping persons, man-stealing. The best working definition that I could find for our word steal, in, as it's used in the Eighth Commandment, is the definition that is given by Mark Rooker. Rooker says, stealing is the act of taking property from another without permission and in secret. Pretty basic definition, right? Stealing is the act of taking property from another without permission and in secret. God says, you shall not steal. You shall not take property from another without permission and in secret. Well, let's reflect a little bit on the nature of stealing, just for a moment. When I steal something, the underlying situation for me is that I am dissatisfied with my lot in life. I want more than what God has given me. When I steal something... I'm also showing that my love for neighbor is much less than it ought to be. By taking from my neighbor what is rightfully theirs, I show that I lack respect for my neighbor and I lack love for my neighbor. And I'm also depriving my neighbor of the fruit that his or her hands have produced. Further, when I steal something, I am breeding bad effects in the society in which I live. Theft breeds distrust, and theft breeds anger, and it breeds fear amongst people. Theft breeds fracture, and it breeds strife in the society in which one lives. But perhaps most importantly, most importantly, 
When I steal from another person, I am profaning God's name, according to Proverbs 30, verse 9. Stealing is profaning God's name. And I am breaking, of course, I am breaking the Eighth Commandment if I steal. When I steal, I am distrusting God's provision for me, and I am robbing another person of what God has provided for them. You shall not steal. Now, it's interesting. Look at this commandment. It's interesting that this Eighth Commandment assumes the ownership of private property. Again, this Eighth Commandment assumes the ownership of private property. In order for the word steal to have any meaning, the assumption is that person A has private property, that person B takes deceitfully and takes unlawfully. The Eighth Word assumes the ownership of private property. Now, as we talk about private property... The best place to start is to say that in an ultimate sense, every single thing that we could ever own belongs to God. Bear firmly in mind that in Exodus 19.5, just one chapter earlier, God had declared, all the earth is mine. Okay? How much of your stuff, including your own self, is God's? All of it is. All the earth is mine. And Psalm 24.1 says to us, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. In Psalm 50, verse 10, God says, Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. So God owns everything. Let's get that straight. God has the deed to the entire world that he has made, including every material object and every living creature that lives and dies in the world. Are you with me this morning? But now having said that, God did grant dominion over the earth to his human creatures, did he not? Psalm 8.6, which echoes Genesis chapter 1, says that God has given dominion over the works of his hands to human beings. And Psalm 115 verse 16 says that God has given the earth to the children of man. He has given the earth to the children of man. So we've been given dominion over the earth. And in scripture, the right for human beings to own private property on this earth is affirmed. Israelite families had family inheritances. They owned specific plots of land that were rightfully theirs. Acts chapter 4 verse 37 says that Barnabas had a field that belonged to him. In fact, several people throughout the Bible own houses and they own lands. And the Bible also has several discussions about the establishment of property lines and boundaries within properties and about the honorable way to conduct real estate transactions. 
All of this shows that God affirms the private ownership of property, whether houses, lands, or various material items. See, friends, the Bible is no Marxist manual. Karl Marx wanted to eliminate the right to private property. The Bible affirms the private ownership of property and, listen, it links the ownership of private property to the dignity of persons. To the dignity of persons. Listen, God wanted Adam to work the garden so that through that work, Adam could enjoy the produce that his work would bring forth. Adam was to use his God-given talents in tilling the ground and in harvesting in the expectation that he would reap produce from the garden that he could then enjoy. This was all part and parcel with human dignity the ability to work with the gifts and talents that God had given you, and then to own and use and enjoy the produce that your toil had produced. Now, if a person came along and stole the produce that you had produced through your work, it, could, it can be considered as an attack on your human dignity. You shall not steal because... Stealing impairs human dignity. Now, of course, when we talk about how the Bible affirms the ownership of private property, of course, we have to temper the discussion with other biblical warnings and commands concerning the dangers of materialism, right? Psalm 52.7 warns against trusting in the abundance of one's riches, Jesus tells us we cannot serve God and money. The Apostle Paul warns us about the love of money, as does, a little spiritual commercial here, as does the book of Ecclesiastes, which we're studying on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. It warns us against the dangers of the love of money as well. First uh, Timothy 6, verse 7 Uh, There, Paul tells us in no uncertain terms, and actually tells us quite starkly, I think, that we brought nothing into the world, and when we die, guess what? We cannot take anything out of the world either. So we have to be aware of an undue fascination with material goods. To be sure, we have to be aware of that. In fact, going further, the Bible wants us to hold material goods very loosely, to give them up and to be generous with them. We need to see that everything that we've been given is to be used for the glory of God. But again, having said all of that, Our point, our basic point remains, the Bible does affirm the ownership of private property. And you shall not steal is a commandment that assumes the ownership of private property. It hurts us, does it not? Let's be honest here. It hurts us when our private property is stolen. 
It feels like a real violation. Well, as we continue to meditate on the eighth word, what's also instructive for us to do, I think, is to consider the variety, and there's a whole variety of situations or the variety of scenarios that get outlined in Scripture that constituted theft, constituted stealing. Of course, the most obvious way that one could steal was to stealthily and in secret take an item that belonged uh, to her neighbor. But there were many other situations that constituted theft. For example, if you found a lost animal, it did not mean that the animal automatically belonged to you. I should have read that part of the Bible when I picked up that scarf. So in other words, finders keepers did not apply. You had to take pains to find out who the lost animal belonged to and then return it to the owner. If you decided to keep the lost animal as your own, it would be defined as theft. Another situation. If you moved the boundary markers that separated your property from your neighbor's to make it look like your property was bigger than it actually was, That, too, was considered stealing. And God includes a command about that in Scripture. The Torah also has much to say about charging interest on a loan that you gave to a poor person. No interest was to be charged in that case. If you decided to charge interest, you would be stealing. And then there was the use of false weights and measures. If I was selling you three pounds of wheat, but your weigh scale measured it as two and a half pounds because you had rigged your scale to read less than the actual weight with the design to pay me less for my product, that also was considered stealing. And it's significant, friends, how many times in Scripture this issue of false weights and measures comes up. It should give us pause, I think, to consider that several times in the book of Proverbs, several times we are told that the use of false weights and scales is, the word that is used, is an abomination to God. It is detestable to him. So strong language there. God hates that sort of false dealing amongst human beings. You shall not steal. Another way that you could steal was to fail to pay your laborer a fair wage. Or to fail fail to pay your laborer any wage at all. And the prophet Jeremiah is especially fiery about this sort of thievery. In Jeremiah 22.13, Jeremiah says this, Woe to him, listen to this, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. Again, you shall not steal. Yet another way to steal was if you knowingly sold an inferior product. What Amos 8.6 calls 
chaff for wheat. Or chaff instead of wheat. This sort of swindling was also theft. Sort of like today when people try to pass off a $25 watch as a Rolex. Or when a cubic zirconia is passed off as a diamond. It's exactly the same thing. Well, friends, what we start to understand as we consider the biblical material is that there are many ways to steal. There are many ways to be a thief. There are a number of ways to break the eighth word. And in the wider Bible, thievery and stealing are roundly and consistently condemned. Not just in the Eighth Commandment, but in many other places in the Psalms, in the wisdom literature, in the prophets, and of course in the New Testament also. There were prescribed penalties for stealing. Under the Old Covenant, thieves who were caught had to pay back double the amount that they had stolen. So if you stole 100 bucks, you had to pay back 200. Why? Because if I stole $100, wanting to gain that $100 illicitly, I now had to lose from my own pocketbook the very amount that I hoped to gain in my thieving. In some cases, like say if I stole a sheep, I never have by the way, just bubblegum and a scarf. If I stole a sheep and then I proceeded to slaughter that sheep, so that I could eat it. Or if I stole an ox and then I proceeded to sell that ox to somebody else. So in both of those cases, the animal cannot be returned to its owner. It's either dead or sold. In those cases, I had to pay back not just two sheep, but four sheep. Not just one ox, but five oxen. So the penalties became steep in those sorts of situations. The only form of stealing in the Old Testament, in the Bible, that is punishable by death in ancient Israel was kidnapping, stealing a person. Otherwise, normally there was to be some form of material restitution. As we've said, animals for an animal, $1,000 if I stole $500, etc., but enough about the ancient Near Eastern context. Let's get a little more personal here. In what ways does you shall not steal apply to you and to me today? How do I process the Eighth Commandment as I return to work tomorrow? Or as I go to school tomorrow? Or as I work from home? Well, as it was with a variety of very creative ways that one might steal in the Old Testament, so it is in our day. Stealing and thieving, you see, is not simply limited to a situation like the one I described where I tried to steal the bubblegum. The person in business, are you in business? The person in business can steal by marketing inferior goods while marking the price up. Or any one of us over the age of 18 can steal come January or February if we file a dishonest tax return. Theft 
We can also steal and break the eighth word by filing a dishonest insurance claim. Or you can sell something on Kijiji and fail to give full disclosure about the problems and the weaknesses of the item that you are trying to sell. Theft. Or, if you somehow manage to get on the STM or the Metro without a paid ticket, that's also thieving. Or how about, young people, I don't want to single you out here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, it's not just young people, it's actually across the board. Now you really want to know what this one is, right? (laughs) Downloading music or movies without paying for them. Now, as a a former musician, that one especially hurts. But I'm going to leave it there. I'm particularly sensitive about that one. You shall not steal. Another thing that I think comes pretty close to theft these days is packing 30 grams of product into a bag that holds 60 and blowing the bag up to make it look full. Right? Corporations do that sort of thing all the time. Uh, Nabisco. I shouldn't single them out. It's across the board. Or or this one, friends. How about credit cards? If I use a credit card to buy something that I want right now and I don't really have intention to pay back the amount that I borrowed, that's also stealing. It's not only not paying for the thing that I want, it's getting someone else to pay for me. Or another form of stealing that applies, I think, particularly to students, but also to preachers, is plagiarism. Stealing the work of others and passing it off as your own. And you'd be surprised at how much pulpit plagiarism goes on. It's actually a very sad thing. And, of course, in universities, every September... When you start school, there's increasingly detailed rules that you are given uh, concerning plagiarism and how to uh, uh, avoid plagiarism. Universities want to combat that problem. It's a big problem. What are some other ways that you and I steal or are stolen from these days? Well, there's also, of course, the concept of not putting in a full day's work and still expecting to be paid for a full day's work. Ah, It's quiet in here. You know what I'm talking about, right? Playing games on your phone while you should be working or watching YouTube videos when you should be working and still getting paid for the time that you have whiled away on your device. That's breaking the Eighth Commandment. That's thieving. Or pilfering from the workplace. So taking home a stapler or a three-hole punch and forgetting to return it. Or what about the landlord who decides to rent his apartment at a very unreasonable price? That also could be considered a form of theft. And of course, these days, we are also um, living in a world where we have to be concerned about other forms of theft, like identity theft, 
internet thefts of various kinds, like ransomware, uh, the hacking of personal data. I'm sure that many of us, I got, I got probably six calls this week on my cell phone from scammers set up somewhere in Ontario now who are phoning and saying, you know, this is Service Canada. If you don't want to go to jail, you have to press one and <laughs> on and on and on. Maybe some of you received the same calls. And it's a different number every time, and I'm blocking it every time. What are the people doing? They're explicitly and purposely trying to break the Eighth Commandment, trying to steal from us. But, friends, you and I can also rob God by not giving tithes and offerings, by not giving God the praise that he is due, by not investing the time and talents and passions that he has given us for the kingdom. The truth of the matter is that everybody has thieved or is thieving in one way or another. All of us are breakers of the eighth word in the ten words. We are all thieves in one way or another, so that when we read the eighth word, we are reading it as a company of thieves. Martin Luther once made this exact point in a very memorable way when he said this. Listen to this. Luther said, If all who were thieves, though they are unwilling to admit it, were hanged on the gallows, the world would soon be empty. And there would be a shortage of both hangmen and gallows. Luther also said, if we look at mankind in all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast white stable full of great thieves. Friends, the fact is, all of us have stolen. All of us have been stolen from God has commanded us not to steal. We have all imitated and followed Adam who committed the first theft of what did not rightfully belong to him in the garden. We are all guilty of theft before God. The good news is that there is a second Adam. The last Adam. Jesus Christ. When Satan forcefully, forcefully tempted Jesus in the wilderness, when Satan tempted Jesus to take shortcuts to power and to authority, Jesus, listen, did not take from the serpent like Adam had taken from the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The last Adam, Jesus, refused Satan's temptations. Jesus would not steal glory from God by shortcutting his way to power and authority. Instead, what did Jesus do? He did it God's way. He went on to receive the fullness of God's kingdom through what? Through his suffering and death on the cross, which Satan wanted him to avoid. And while on the cross... What happened? Jesus was dying next to two thieves who were also crucified there with him. Now, it's a sweet and it's a beautiful thing that while dying on the cross, Jesus ministered to a thief like me, a thief like you. 
promising paradise to that thief. But it's a much more amazing thing. It's a much more consoling thing to consider that my thieving and my stealing, my breaking of the eighth word and my breaking of all the other ten words was taken by Jesus on himself on the cross. That Jesus died as a thief. He died as a thief even though he himself was sinless. That he became sin, says the scripture, and died the death, the death that I deserved for my sin against the holy God. This is our substitute, Jesus Christ, numbered among the transgressors, taking our transgressions on himself and dying in our place so that we might be freed from the curse of the law, of the law and forgiven by almighty God. To quote what 1 Peter 3.18 says, Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's him, for the unrighteous, that's you and us, you and me, so that he might do what? So that he might bring us to God. If you are a thief like me, the good news is that every thief that repents and trusts in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, will be saved from God's wrath that is coming on sin, because Jesus took God's wrath for sin already on the cross. And by his Holy Spirit, by his Spirit who brings us from being dead in transgressions and sins to new life in Jesus, God enables us to obey the Eighth Commandment. As believers, we now see with our new eyes, that the command not to steal is actually not simply, it's not simply to refrain from taking what does not belong to us. But rather, the eighth word is a call to live generously. That's really the ultimate fulfillment of the eighth word. It's a call to live generously. We see in the New Testament that the opposite of theft, what's the opposite of theft? It's not simply guarding the stuff we have and keeping the stuff that we have and refraining from taking from our neighbors. Rather, the opposite of theft is sharing what God has given us with people in need. This is the teaching of the New Testament. This is the true fulfillment of the eighth word, sharing with those who are in need. And we see this is perhaps most clearly brought out in Ephesians 4.28. Listen to this. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.28, listen to what he says, Let the thief no longer steal, eighth commandment, but rather let him what? Go to work. Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now notice in that verse the clear progression. We go from don't steal to do honest work with your hands to share with those in need. So not stealing, the Eighth Commandment, ends up at sharing with people in need. You see, the true fulfillment of the Eighth Word is sharing what we have with anyone who is in need. Romans 13 verse 9 says, 
that you shall not steal is summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. May God help each and every one of us to love our neighbors this very day on Sunday and this week, Monday, through the rest of the week, by not stealing from them, by doing honest work, by sharing with those in need. For the sake of Jesus Christ and the kingdom, may we be doers of the eighth word and not hearers only. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, your ten words reveal to us your heart. Uh, The beautiful freedom that can be ours as human beings. You've laid it all out, Lord, the way to live, to go with the grain of the universe. We praise you and thank you, Lord, uh, for giving us these instructions. You didn't have to, but you did. We thank you for your grace in uh, helping and steering us and giving us the blueprint for flourishing as human beings. And as we go from this place this morning, Lord God, I pray that this word would ring in our hearts and minds. Um, If we are tempted in some way, shape, or form to steal from another this week, may you, by your Holy Spirit, convict us and lead us to righteousness for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Together we have worshipped. Together we stand ready to serve. May we be rooted in the word of God. May we blossom with faith and good works. May we delight in the Lord, and may our Lord take delight in us. Amen.